Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster Church. We are so glad that you are here, whether you're joining us in person or online. Your presence is a gift to us this morning. A couple of things I want to make you aware of as we begin. The first is to say a special word of welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service this morning, including communion, uh, which for all of us is going to change a bit today. I know change in church is scary, but I'm assured this is how you used to do communion before COVID. So what I'm going to ask is that DH will come. We've sent these instructions out. They're in your order of worship, but just to give us a refresher if DH will come and give us those instructions. Well, first of all, thank you for bearing with us through the pandemic and trying to establish a meaningful way to do communion and still maintain the uh, guidelines that we needed to maintain to prevent spread of the disease. And, Thankfully, I think that we've been very successful at that. Uh, but at, uh, the time has come to sort of move. Uh, I, was, I was telling someone we're going to do it exactly the same way we did it before, except different. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the communion servers will be <clears throat> standing uh, in front of the lower step uh, as, as usual. Uh, Jillian, however, will <clears throat> deliver her words of institution from the floor. Uh, there will be three servers because we've done away with the common cup. The common cup is more symbolic now. Uh, but uh, So there'll be a server for the bread who will continue to, with a gloved hand, hand you your piece of bread in your open palm. Your cup, uh, you may get it yourself, or if you prefer, they can hand it to you. So you just, uh, uh, most people will be picking it up themselves. And then the third person will be receiving the empty cups, and you just set that on, on, on her tray. The flow of traffic will be a little bit different. We'll begin with the, with the lectern side, and the flow will, will go down the center aisle and return to your seat down the side aisle. And then we'll go to the pulpit side, and the flow will be beginning down the side aisle and returning by the center aisle. So uh, the flow will be clockwise on both sides. Clears, bud? <laughs> And if you mess something up, don't worry. As I have proven, we all do that from time to time. A couple other things I want to make you aware of. Uh, if you would, there is a, a registry on your row. If you would pass, fill that out and pass that down. we just like to know who's worshiping with us. We promise not to show up at your house. I also want to make you uh, aware of our prayer list. Um, and a couple of good updates here. Rodney Thomas is home, which is really good news. An email just went out uh, right before worship about Kay Southern, so please keep her in your prayers. Uh, and in just a moment, Mark is going to come give us uh, a moment of mission about our September missions emphasis. But I also want to highlight for you that our middle hymn, the first stanza will be our choral scholars, and then the congregation will sing stanzas two and three. Debbie will direct us when we get to that. If you sing stanza, I was doing four, excuse me. If you sing stanza three, you will sing a solo. So we will love to hear you if you choose to do that. But now I'm going to ask, as has hopefully become a quick tradition for us here, that we take a deep breath together. And we do this as we begin our worship to ground ourselves in this time. Um, the pace in a church and in a worship service is different than the pace in other parts of our life. And it's important to recognize that and to do our best to take that moment to settle ourselves. So take a deep breath. Breathe all the way in. Let that breath reach all the way down to your toes if you can. 
And as you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out any homework that maybe isn't quite done. Breathe out those things that you carried with us, carried with you into worship as best you can. Breathe in again, know that you are loved by God, and let us worship together. Good morning. Our mission's emphasis for the month of September is the Northeast Louisiana War Veterans Home, which is located on Highway 165 North here in Monroe. They offer a variety of services, including long and short-term care, as well as rehab and mental health services. The facility can house 156 individuals, and they currently house 116. In addition to providing care for veterans, they can also provide care for their spouses. Some patients may only need a short stay, but most are in for a longer period of time. They offer all types of therapy, nursing care, and have contracted providers who provide medical care for their patients. They plan activities for the residents and try to make the stay as enjoyable as possible, and they have special activities scheduled throughout the year. Their wish list hasn't changed from previous years, so please reference the list that's on the insert of your order of worship under mission opportunities to see the um, types of items that, that they need for donation, and you can put any donations in the trunk out in the narthex. Um, I encourage you to contribute to this worthy organization. Thank you. Now, if you would, please join me in our call to worship. We've come to worship God. Who knows us even better than we know ourselves. And whose love for us never ceases. Let's worship together.
reading from Psalm 139. O Eternal One, you have explored my heart and know exactly who I am. You even know the small details, like when I take a seat and when I stand up again. Even when I am far away, you know what I'm thinking. You observe my wanderings and my sleeping, my waking and my dreaming, and you know everything I do in more detail than even I know. You know what I'm going to say long before I say it. It is true, Eternal One, that you know everything and everyone. You have surrounded me on every side, behind me and before me, and you have placed your hand gently on my shoulder. It is the most amazing feeling to know how deeply you know me, inside and out. The realization of it is so great that I cannot comprehend it. Can I go anywhere apart from your spirit? Is there anywhere I can go to escape your watchful presence? If I go up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the realm of the dead, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I make my home in the most isolated part of the ocean, even then, you will be there to guide me. Your right hand will embrace me, for you are always there. Even if I am afraid and think to myself, there is no doubt that the darkness will swallow me, the light around me will soon be turned to night, you can see in the dark, for it is not dark to your eyes. For you, the night is just as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to your eyes. For you shaped me inside and out. You knitted me together in my mother's womb long before I took my first breath. I will offer you my grateful heart, for I am your unique creation, filled with wonder and awe. You have approached even the smallest details with excellence. Your works are wonderful. I carry this knowledge deep within my soul. You see all things. Nothing about me was hidden from you as I took shape in secret, carefully crafted in the heart of the earth before I was born from its womb. You see all things. You saw me growing, changing in my mother's womb. Every detail of my life was already written in your book. You established the length of my life before I ever tasted the sweetness of it. Your thoughts and plans are treasures to me, O oh God. I cherish each and every one of them. How grand in scope, how many in number. If I could count each one of them, they would be more than all the grains of sand on earth. Their number is inconceivable. Even when I wake up, I am still near to you. I wish you would destroy all the wicked, O oh God, so keep away from me those who are thirsty for blood, for they say such horrible things about you, and those who are against you abuse your good name. Is it not true that I hate all who hate you, eternal one? Turn the page. Is it not true that I despise all who come against you? Deep hatred boils within me toward them. I am your friend and they are my enemies. Explore me, O oh God, and know the real me. Dig deeply and discover who I am. Put me to the test and watch how I handle the strain. Examine me to see if there is an evil bone within me and guide me down your path 
forever. Poetry about how completely God knows us. Let's pray together. We worship you, O God, as creator and liberator. You led the captives out of Egypt, delivering them from the oppression of slavery. You gave laws which enabled people to relate to you, to one another, and to the whole creation. 
You implored people to worship only you, knowing that whatever was put in your place would all too easily become the object of idolatry and the property of people's hearts. You showered us with blessings by revealing in Jesus just how precious we are to you. And through him, you delivered us into a new and living relationship with you and with one another, with a new commandment, a commandment of love. Holy God, we come together to worship as a people who would like to think that we love you with all our hearts and souls, with all our might, but there are so many other things in our lives that clamor for our attention, so much so that we often relegate you to Sundays and times when we need to be rescued. Most of us really do want you to be the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We really do want to hear your voice above all of the other voices in our lives, but we get bogged down in the daily routine. We forget who we are, we forget who you are, and we forget what the church is supposed to be. So here we are, standing before you with our human foibles and our short attention spans, asking that you would make us known to you, that you would help us to recognize the presence of the holy in ourselves and in our world, that you would continue to challenge us, inspire us, and make us into the people you want us to be. May we reveal the depth of our love and your love as we praise and adore you, O God, and as we go out into the world to be your hands and your feet. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. 
A reading from Deuteronomy. Moses said, Listen, Israel, as I proclaim these rules and decrees directly to you today. Learn them and put them into practice. The eternal God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The eternal didn't make the covenant just with our parents. He also made it with all of us who are alive here today because we were included in the covenant when he made it with them. The eternal tried to talk to you directly at that mountain from inside the fire that rose up into the sky. But you were afraid of the fire and wouldn't go up the mountain. So I stood between you and the eternal and told you what he was saying. The eternal one, speaking to the people of Israel through Moses, said, I am the eternal. I am your true God. I led you out of Egypt where you were slaves. You were to worship no other gods before me. My presence is enough. You are not to make idols of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or down in the sea. You are not to bow down and worship of any images of other gods, for I am the eternal, your God. I am jealous for worship, bringing punishment on you and your children to come, even down to your great-grandchildren to whoever hates me. Instead, those who obey my commandments and truly love me will receive my loyal love endlessly, even for a thousand generations. You are not to use my name lightly or flippantly or as a curse. I will punish anyone who treats my name as anything less than sacred. You and your family are to honor the Sabbath by setting it aside for the Lord your God. Make sure it remains holy just as I commanded you. You should do all of your work in six days and on the seventh, the Sabbath, do not do any work. This goes for you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and cattle and foreign travelers staying at your house. My Sabbath rest is for all to enjoy. Remember what it was like when you were a slave in Egypt. Then with overwhelming power, I brought you out of there. That's why I've commanded you to observe the Sabbath each week. Honor your father and mother as I have commanded you. If you do, you will be blessed with long life, and all will go well for you as you live on the ground I am giving you. You must never murder anyone. You must never commit adultery. You must never steal you must never lie when you're called to give testimony about another person. Never look at someone else's wife and wish you could have her. Never look at anything that belongs to someone else and wish it was yours. His house, field, male or female slave, ox, donkey, or anything else he owns. Moses spoke, saying, Listen, Israel, the Eternal is our true God, He alone. You should love Him, your true God, with all your heart and soul, with every ounce of your strength. Make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in your home and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing you talk about before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about the next morning. Do whatever it takes to remember them. Tie a reminder on your hand and bind a reminder on your forehead where you'll see it all the time, such as on the doorpost where you cross the threshold or on the city gate. A story of commandments to make part of who we are. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. When did no become a bad word? I mean it. When did we lose 
our appreciation for limits and rules. At what point in our society's development was it decided that the law only applies to some? When did truth become situational? Now don't get me wrong, I believe that unjust discriminatory laws are there for the breaking. The great John Lewis's words about getting into good trouble, necessary trouble, strike me as just short of gospel truth. I have absolutely no patience for people who use the law to justify taking advantage of those who are not in a position to stand up for themselves. I'm very much an ask forgiveness, not permission type of person. But I was raised by parents who loved me by saying no, who had rules they expected me to follow, who set limits that were non-negotiable and clear consequences for poor choices or for disobeying those rules. My parents were lavish with their love, but it took me until my adulthood to realize their strictness, their willingness to say no, was an extension of that excess. My mom and dad are the reason I understand rules and structure, with certain exceptions, to be good and healthy things. And it's because of them that I remain convinced that the word no is sometimes the most loving thing we can say to each other. In essence, this morning's passage is God's loving no to the Israelites. Through the voice of Moses, God reminds these chosen people where the limits are, what her expectations are, and how they can go about living in the community God is creating. Now, for context, we've skipped ahead 40 years from where we were last week, that story of God speaking with Moses out of the burning bush. The first generation of Israelites who escaped from uh, Egypt, escaped from Pharaoh, have passed away. Um, and we can also hear with them the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20. But their generation, that first generation, doesn't trust God. They're disbelieving and rebellious on numerous occasions. So God vows that that group of people, fair or not, is not going to enter the Promised Land. Today's audience, even though Moses is still there, is the second generation the children born during the wandering, who reach the edge of the promised land at the end of the book of Numbers. So there's the context for where we are this morning. Now here they are, standing on the cusp of this land they've spent their whole lives hearing about, their whole lives dreaming about, their whole lives being told is coming. And they're listening once again to Moses preach. They listen as he brings them rhetorically to the base of Mount Sinai, it's called Horeb here, and preaches to them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us alive here today. Now, that seems a little confusing. Moses is elderly. Maybe he's gotten confused. These are not the people he led out of Egypt and to whom he presented the two tablets of commandments. It's been about 40 years. These are their children. But what you have to know is that Moses is speaking a deeper truth. His concern, unlike ours, is not for historical accuracy. It's for transformation. 
He seeks to persuade this new generation to recommit to the covenant God made with their parents at Sinai by reminding them of God's command. Now, perhaps this feels odd, this long, pregnant, awaited moment that in in this moment, Moses is going to talk about laws. But as Joan Chittister points out in her series on the Ten Commandments, these are not laws as we think of them. Reflecting on the mind of God, the Decalogue, that's Greek for the ten words, common way to refer to the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue is a series of principles, not prescriptions. These laws are not written to be argued in a court. Most of them aren't even legally enforceable. As Sister Joan says, the Decalogue is made up of laws of the heart, not laws of the commonwealth. These laws are meant to shape attitudes and spirit. They are ten words that create a community. And keep in mind that this is a community based in freedom and liberation. For God begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. So before any expectations are outlined, before any community building begins, God grounds all of this in the twin gifts of liberation and freedom. Now, what does this liberation look like? What tangible shape does freedom take? Well, it takes the shape of not returning to idolatry. You shall have no other gods before me, because this is a form of bondage. It takes the shape of observing the Sabbath day weekly, for identity is no longer found in work and production, but in honoring and trusting God's provision. It takes the shape of not having a society in which people kill each other, for that is bondage to fear and does not treat God's creation of humanity as sacred. It takes the shape of not desiring what you don't have For there is freedom in simplicity, not things. Rather than being restrictive or only beneficial to a percentage of the community, these laws of the heart, Moses is reconstituting, repeating, and remembering. And I want you to see that word with a hyphen in it, remembering. These laws that he's going over for the second generation is their foundation the bedrock on which to build their lives and their society, designed on a frame of liberation and freedom and grounded in relationship. Because that's the other important element to understand this story. These laws of the heart are an extension of the people's relationship with God. Much like an attentive parent whose discipline and guidance changes as their relationship with their child evolves into adulthood, so the Decalogue, these ten words, develops as the Israelites' relationship with God develops. These are not the mandates of an unknown, intangible, on-high deity, but rather grounded truths for beloved children. Ways for them to understand their place in the world, and live within reasonable limitations, which is good for everybody. The Ten Commandments are a loving, freedom-giving way for God to say no to a few things, and yes to so many more. 
My friend Amanda and I have known each other since fourth grade, been best friends ever since. But as you'd expect, our relationship has changed and evolved a bit since we were little girls. One of the best times in our friendship was right before I left for seminary in 2009. Amanda and her then-husband had just moved back to our hometown with their 18-month-old Michael in tow, and Michael was just starting to talk. Uh, as most little ones that age uh, have a repertoire, his included Mama, Kitty, and No. That was his favorite one. One day I went over to Amanda's house just as she was feeding Michael dinner. During mealtimes, he had discovered the absolute hilarity of feeding Kitty by dropping food from his high chair onto the floor. He thought it was great. His mother didn't because while Kitty was enjoying the meal, he wasn't eating. And so, well, he's also making a huge mess that she then had to clean up. So that night, I was there. She decided she was going to take action. Catching Michael in the act, because he was trying to be sneaky, she took two fingers, and I want to make it clear she did not hit him. She just tapped him on the knee and said, no, Michael, that's bad. And y'all, if I hadn't been there and seen it with my own eyes, I would not believe that an 18-month-old is capable of producing such a profound look of betrayal. He <laughs> was just devastated. He looked down at his knee, he looked up at his mother, and lower lip just a quivering, he bawled. He was horrified. Now this was at once heartbreaking and hysterical. And Amanda and I managed to hold it together until we looked at each other and then we just erupted. It was belly laughs, I must have laughed for 10 minutes. At which point Michael stopped crying because he realized what was going on narrowed his eyes, and in his high chair put his hands on his hips and said, No, Mama, that's bad. <laughs> My friends, no isn't always a bad or negative word. When it comes from the mouth of a reproachful toddler, it's really funny. When it comes from someone who is protecting themselves or someone else, especially in the face of a powerful system or standing up for what's right, no is powerful and courageous. And when God says no in the context of the Ten Commandments, we too are to understand the word in the light of the freedom and liberation God gives and the relationship that God pursues with us to this very day. For you see, my friends, the good news this morning is that God wants nothing in return for our freedom, our liberation, our life in the promised land, whatever that looks like. God wants nothing for that but our faithful love. And the best part of this good news is that our God doesn't call us into relationship with her to condemn us and judge us when we make mistakes. Rather, just as God reaches out to the second generation of Israelites in today's scripture, so God reaches out to each of us with the same liberating laws of the heart. God gives, gifts us with the same liberating groundwork so that we can create a community powered by the freedom we find in our creator. If God didn't love us so much, she would not stretch herself to provide us with limits and rules, with guideposts to know when we're headed in unholy or unhealthy directions. So let's understand the holy no as a gift. 
As Sister Joan says, let's not be convicted by the Ten Commandments. Let's be transformed by them. The great I am, the God of love, the light of the world, guides us, gives us laws to live by. And as we go from this place, once worship is over, let's take care to pay attention to which laws are God's and which aren't. Because I imagine the latter probably needs breaking.
music like that, you really didn't need a sermon, but you got both. <laughs> Friends, this communion is a joyful feast of unity. Christ has gathered his people around the earth to commune at this table. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. So we gather at this table where everyone is equal. We gather at this table across political lines and economic lines, in places of powerfully protected influence, and among the poorest of the poor. We share a meal, remembering and celebrating the one who is the tangible heart of God. And so come. Come with your doubts. Come with your hopes. Come with your inadequacies and your strengths. Come. For this is a table where all are invited and all are welcome. Let's pray together. Our Father, Father who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that he was handed over while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. On that evening he took bread. He gave thanks for it, and he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat all of you. This is my body, surrendered for you.